When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. At KPMG, it's people who make the difference for their clients. With talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG advisors embed themselves in their clients' business, working together as true team members to help grow and transform their enterprise. Ready to make the difference together? Visit their website at visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. Hey everybody, Double G here with Fight Game Podcast Extra. A couple of programming notes here before we get to my episode. Uh, Scott Edwards is substituting for John LaRocca on Saturday, tomorrow's show. Uh, It will be a Joshi show from Scott Edwards, and he brings on um, this this, uh, son, uh, gosh, I forget the name here. Uh, Sandra Bjorn is the, is the guest, uh, and uh, they're going to talk about Golden Week uh, on Stardom. So if you're a Stardom fan, or if you're just kind of looking to get in Stardom, and Stardom is probably the fastest growing uh, wrestling promotion out of the, the big ones, uh, check it out. Scott will be here on Sunday. Uh, and also, the Mike and JD show went up a little bit late. It usually is up there in the feed on Friday morning. Uh, They had to postpone their recording uh, a day later, but it is up in the feed now, so if you didn't see it download, it is right before this show, so you can go back and check the feed if you missed your Mike and JD show. Justin Nipper is guesting on that show as well. Uh, Also, the Fight Game Media website, which has been dormant for a bit, which is completely my fault. I was looking into changing the design a little bit, and I wanted to make it more about these podcasts than about actual written content. I mean, we have historical content going back to like 2007 uh, on that website. So I didn't want to remove it, but I wanted to change the focus. And uh, so I was looking to change the design, but then decided just look into some widgets from uh, for WordPress. If you're a WordPress user, you know what I'm talking about. And found a few. So we're going to see. I, I don't know how much written content is going to be up there, but we're going to post our podcasts uh, on there daily. So you should see on the website uh, all of our podcasts as well. And I will 
update. Uh, we still have some stuff from Robert Silva on his uh, top 45 in the last 45 years. And I'm sure I will uh, write up some of the bigger shows and we'll probably use it to do more promotion for our podcast as well and, and our YouTube channel. So you can uh, you, you can check that out, fightgamemedia.com. All right, what about this show? So first off, you're going to hear from Paul Fontaine. He's joined me to discuss UFC 288. Goes over his best bets. We take three of the fights, and Paul looks at what he calls the ROI, and he explains it, and uh, he puts his uh, he puts his money where his mouth is too. He puts bets on on these fights, so uh, he gives you his best bets, and then we talk a little bit about backlash. And I watched SmackDown. That crowd was on fire, so much so that I, I kind of hope that they can sustain for the pay-per-view, which is actually going to be the bigger show than Friday Night SmackDown. But that crowd was on fire. Bad Bunny comes out like the greatest baby face of all time at the end of that show. And what that dude just has crazy charisma, so it'll be fun. Hope, I'm kind of hoping that he and uh, Priest are the main event tomorrow night rather than Cody and Brock. But Cody and Brock may, may very well be the main event as well uh yeah so check it out uh with paul and i and then ian douglas the author of the new steve kern book and you may have read the brian blair book in the past his uh, book on the bahamas he's also written uh with hornswoggle and dan severn as well bugsy mcgraw so ian comes on and we just talk about his writing process, we talk about how he's gotten involved with uh, some of these wrestlers whose uh, heydays, you know, were sort of like late 70s, early 80s, and, and are now finally telling their stories. And just overall, I, I and personally, this is kind of selfish, I just wanted to get to know him a little bit, because I've, I've been a fan, and we've communicated on Twitter before. He's had to set up, he's helped us set up interviews with uh, Wrestling Observer Radio, and I just, I really have just been wanting to chat with him. So that's really what the focus of the interview was for me. Uh, great guy, and I think you'll like it. If, if you know, even, even if you haven't read the books yet, which I hope you will, there's a link in our show notes to uh, to the latest book. But even if you haven't read the books, I think you'll be intrigued if you're interested in wrestling biographies and just writing in general. Uh, I was really interested to talk to Ian about the the process of how you even do this you know how do, how do you go about this uh, he's also written for the ringer so you may have read a piece of his uh, if you follow that website anyways let's get to paul and then after paul you will hear the conversation with ian douglas our welcoming back paul fontaine I think you were on the very first show, right? Did we go over UFC 287 on the very first Fight Game Podcast Extra? I think so. I, I, I'm i not sure if it was the first show, but we definitely did go over UFC 287. I think it was at least because I did two shows the first week. So at yeah. least one is one of the first or second. But so bringing you back because on the on that show, you gave us your best bets. And I want you to be able to <laughs> to uh, give your win loss record here for yeah. UFC 287. How'd you do? I was hoping you forgot. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean I was on three, um, but uh, I, believe it or not, and, and it's in the fight game Discord, uh, so it, I'm not lying. Um, but every every week since then, I've done really well. Uh, just that particular week 
didn't right. go so well for those three picks. All right, we're hoping for a comeback here yeah. on, on the main on the main pay per view. So, is Cejudo and Sterling a coin flip to you? Like I've seen from a lot of people, uh, and and I, I'm guessing that if Cejudo hadn't retired, that he would probably be a, a decent favorite. But what what are your thoughts on this fight? It's really interesting. Like, and it actually is. It's a complete even betting right now, minus one ten on either side. Um, and uh, Sterling is interesting because he's a very underlooked champion, and you know they, he kind of won the title on a fluke, um, where you know he uh, Peter Yan was disqualified for uh, illegal knee, and then his defense against Peter Yan it was a split decision that most people thought that Yan won. And then his next title defense was against TJ Dillashaw, who came into the fight injured. And, uh, you know, and he threw, he had thrown out his shoulder like 20 times in the week <laughs> leading up to yeah. the fight. And, and he basically was fighting with one arm and, and got fit. So, I mean, he's kind of like people kind of overlook Sterling, but then you got, got Cejudo, who hasn't three years, but both of them are on crazy runs. Um, yeah. Cejudo hasn't lost since 20, 2016, and um, Sterling not since 2017. So, I, uh, it is a coin flip to me. Like, I think, like you said, even up if they were fighting three years ago, I think clearly Cejudo's the favorite, but you know, he hasn't fought in three years, but he's also, he's been training. He's been coaching. He's uh, you know, he hasn't had the wear and tear on his body. So, you know, I, I, I really do think, you know, this is going to be a great fight. So the semi-main Bilal Muhammad and, and Gilbert Burns, Muhammad is on, on a bit of a roll though. He's gone through several washed fighters, several old fighters in that role. And Gilbert Burns is Gilbert Burns. And we just saw him beat uh, Jorge Masvidal in the last UFC. So he's fighting back-to-back pay-per-views here. Uh, What are your thoughts about this one? Uh, Muhammad is probably, like, he's the Islam Makachev of this division in a way. Like, he earned his title shot a long time ago. But he's, you know, he's... Bala Muhammad, like his nick, his nickname is Remember the Name. Like you know, <laughs> nobody remembers who he is. And, and on our fight game pod, or on our uh, our podcast on fight game media that Ryan and I do, like when we first started, like in the almost, clinch, don't in forget, the clinch, yeah, almost name it. almost three years ago, um, I would always forget about Muhammad, <laughs> and like, and it wasn't even a gimmick. It was just like, oh, you know, who who is this guy again and stuff. And and now he's you know one of the biggest names in the division. And yeah, you mentioned you know some of the guys he's beaten, or you know you could say Wash, but I mean Stephen Thompson is still a top guy, and he beat him you know a couple of years ago. And Vince yeah, well, Wash was what was yeah mean. more more just veteran guys who've yeah. been around for a lot have been high quality fighters, but not you yeah. know not. Not on their, not in their prime anymore. I guess you could say the the really impressive one was his last fight though uh, over Sean Brady, who is a an up and coming guy, and he knocked him out in the second round. So, um, I I favor Muhammad in this one. Uh, you know, Gilbert Burns just fought three weeks ago uh, against Jorge Masvidal. This fight only came together like two weeks ago because the original co-main event Charles Oliveira got injured, and that fight against Benil Dariush was moved to uh, the Vancouver show next month. So. Um, yeah, I, I, it's another really, really like close call fight. Like these are, well, the, the top three anyways here are like really close. And then, you know, there's, there's a few blowouts, you know, down, down the card, but, uh, it's not the most marquee of pay-per-views, but the main event is super interesting with Cejudo coming back after the long layoff. 
Okay, before we get to your best bets here for UFC 288, how are you going to watch all of this contact content? Oh, we're go- we're going to talk about <laughs> Cody and Brock here in a second, but yeah. there's you know two big shows, and I know Big Dave asked me the other day. He's like, "Are you going to come over?" And I was like, "I'm going to see," but then I realized Warriors Lakers is at the same time as the oh, yeah. Backlash show, so I'm I'm probably not going over to to with him. But he's going to be on overload, and then there's a Canelo fight. That night, uh, Robert Silva has his pick on pound for pound. I, I think I, I asked Carlos Toro a, as well about his thoughts, and he was like, "Yeah, Canelo should, you know, should end him, you know, mid to late uh, fight." But is there what else is there? I feel like I'm missing stuff. There's like, isn't there another? Is there like a New Japan show or something? I, I thought there was, but um, I knew there was a big New Japan show this week, but it was actually Wednesday. Okay. So I yeah I don't think there's there's anything else. So I mean for me actually it won't be too bad because you know it's in the afternoon and then the UFC's in the evening. I'm not a big boxing guy, so you know I don't think I'm gonna watch that fight. Um, Cinco de Mayo I, weekend, man. It, I know there was a time like a couple of years ago I probably would have, but there's just so much right Look, now. Like I, I'm missing that fight just because there's oh. so much stuff. Be, with and I, know, I, I'm I'm all in on the Jays, so you know I'll be watching the Jays game probably ahead of Backlash. So I'll watch the Jays because if it's in the afternoon, then I'll watch Backlash and then go right into UFC probably. Okay, so let's talk about your best bets. What are your uh, what did we do last time? Three? Would yeah, you, yeah. Your three, three best so, bets for UFC yeah. 288. Yeah. So, um, and, and again, it's just based on ROI, which is return on investment and it's historical. Um, my first one is on the prelims and it's, uh, chaos Williams who, uh, I just got to see who he's fighting. Cause I only wrote down the, he's fighting Rolando Bedoya, who is debuting by 1% ROI. He's a minus 300 favorite. And he's only got a one in one record as, as a favorite. So usually the value on him is as an underdog, but fighting a debuting guy i think this one's pretty safe and then the, the other two are the top two fights uh blal muhammad 57.6 percent roi and he's coming in as an underdog and he's three one and one when he's been an underdog in the past so uh, one of the most overlooked guys on the roster and then as i said earlier Aljamain sterling also similarly overlooked a lot and it's a pick em. And even though I, I kind of, like I said, I, I think in our picks that we did for Fight Game Media, mm-hmm. um, I just, I usually do those, those like kind of off the top of my head, you know, what am I feeling? I haven't yeah. really done any research. And I picked Cejudo, but according to ROI, uh, Aljamain Sterling, 92.2% ROI. So you're almost doubling your money. And it's, so ex- a, it's expi- a little... explain that again, just because, you know, sure. we'll, we'll, we'll do this for, uh, as I can't promise for every UFC pay-per-view, yeah. but we're going to try. But just explain it so that people, as they listen to these shows, yep. understand your your process and, and, and such on this. So for every dollar you bet, you're getting a profit of 92.2% on, on Aldermain Sterling based on the previous odds in his fights. Are there so, negative ROI fighters? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. So on this particular card, there's 14 fights, and I have two of them where I'm not going to bet because both fighters have a negative ROI. Got it. Got um, it. But but they're almost always a positive one, at least one on in each fight. So I've been I've done pretty well on these overall. Like again, when you're only picking the top three, it you know your um, your odds of of them all hitting are 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 worse. But yeah. the more you bet. The, yeah. the more it evens out and and i'm um, sure there's you know up and down like you mentioned the yeah, chaos the yeah. chaos fight 
you know, there's there there's some easy wins where you probably have to bet a, a little bit more exactly. to get back, but you're you're yeah. you're pretty safe. Because uh, even if you bet like he's a minus three hundred, so if he wins, that's only thirty three point three percent on your money. Mm-hmm. So historically, he's actually done better than what these odds are. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, because you, if you lose, it's negative a hundred. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, exactly. So and I usually put like I'll do an even bet on every one of these fights, and and it all evens out. So it looks like I'm an insane maniac because I'm betting you know like five hundred bucks on these fights, but you're not losing them all. Yeah, you know, you never lose them all. It's so so you're when you do these bets, you're betting strictly off of the ROI. You yep. you haven't gone and gone like, you know what? The nope. ROI says this, but my gut nope. feeling is this. So nope. you're you're very strict on this. I am, but I will occasionally take advice. And uh for instance, Ryan Frederick on in the clinch uh before the last pay-per-view, he said, I don't say this often when it comes to betting, but put put a big bet down on under 1.5 rounds and put a big bet on Pavlovich to finish. And I did both of those things and I made a lot of money. Good. Good on <laughs> so yeah, if Ryan gives you red betting advice, take it. <laughs> NFL Sunday ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan. Even if you live far away, like maybe you like the bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday ticket, your out of market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's uh, let's change gears here for a second. Backlash is also happening on Saturday. And John and I on the Fight Game Podcast, which you haven't listened to yet, so you haven't heard our take, which is why no. I- I'm interested in your take. Later today, probably. Uh, the main event I find to be very intriguing because there's very... There's not that many times where I watch wrestling and I go, wow, there seems to be real stakes in this match, like real world pro wrestling ecosystem stakes. Cody mentioned on Raw, he can't lose to Brock. Then he's got to go all the way back to the bottom. And, uh, you know, Brock is the the big bad. He seems like, you know, the the final boss that you got to get through before you get to whatever. I'm just so intrigued at this match. Now, I fully expect this match to have tons of interference, not have a clean finish. Like there's going to be chaos. There's going to be tables broken and probably chairs used and referees getting knocked out. I don't imagine this is going to be like a clean pinfall here, but do you beat Cody? If you're, if you're booking it, do you beat Cody? No. And, and you know, what's funny is you say interference and all that. And I'm my instant thought was from who? Like neither one of these guys have running buddies, so I'm fully expecting just a straight up. So you think it's a straight up match? Brock yeah. Brock cheats, 
with the low yeah, blow. I mean, you know, there'll, there'll be weapons and stuff probably, but I don't see anybody getting involved unless there's something coming, you know, like maybe Brock's got an alliance that, you know, isn't clear right now. And well, my thought was, was bloodline because that's possible. Yeah, He was kind of brought in to turn yeah. on Cody and, you know, maybe Brock doesn't need the help or you just, we yeah, haven't you, seen anything hinting in that direction. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I figure, I figure Cody, cause Brock is probably gone till SummerSlam, I would assume after this. So um, he can take a loss and Brock doesn't mind losing as long as the check clears, um, <laughs> you know? So, uh, and I think, yeah, I think Cody has to win um, because I, I think most people expect him to be at least in the match for the championship at, uh, Saudi mania. I, I, I don't even bother learning the names. I just call them all Saudi mania. Um, but you know, and so he'll be on the SmackDown side and I assume probably Seth Rollins on the other side, but, um, but you're right about the stakes. And I was thinking when, when looking at this card and I think it's just amazing that they've got a match that people care about that we've never seen before. That is a non-title match that's headlining a show and it actually feels important. Yeah. Nobody's complaining about this card. Nobody's saying, oh, you know, there's no Roman match. I'm going to skip this one. Like, I'm not hearing that. Maybe it, maybe it's happening, but this thing feels like a really big deal, this this show. I don't know how many people are going to watch it because it's on a Saturday afternoon, but – or no, I guess it's Saturday evening. Yeah. I'm, I'm mixing it. Oh, Saturday evening, okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's, I was mixing it up with the – Saturday evening with – where everything else is is happening okay so yeah i throw up my plans i have no idea what i'm doing i <laughs> i was in my head i was thinking of it like the saudi mania shows but yeah I, oh you thought it was like an if it was yeah. an afternoon show i would definitely try and find a way yeah oh um, yeah i see it right on the screen there yeah eight, yeah eight eight eastern so yeah i'll probably watch backlash first and then and then over the ufc but uh, i'm yeah i'm just uh super stoked for this you know this bad bunny the crowd the crowd heat should be incredible they don't run in puerto rico that much uh first time in like 17 years i think is it was it that one january new year's revolution or whatever yeah with uh batista where batista um did he with cash in him win your money in the bank or cash in the money in the bank or something yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember the details. I just remember yeah. the, t- the time frame because I thought that was like kind of a hot show. All right, is there, there like anything... a day of reckoning or something? <laughs> is there anything else on this show that you think is uh, is going to be must see? Six man tag, maybe. Yeah, the six man tag should be fun. Um, the two women's title matches, I think, will both be real good. Um, I know I, you're not as high on. I'm Zelina. not as high on the Zelina Vega just because yeah. I don't take her seriously. But as you guys reminded me in our Discord. The L the uh, LWO and the significance of her wrestling is is actually important. So I, I'm hoping, and that... I think I think Rhea's going to sell for her and and make her look real good. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I I could be wrong, but I'm maybe you know. And if Dominic is, I'm sure he's going to be on the show, and I can't wait to hear the heat that he gets. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so six man. It seems like possibly an end to this storyline since yeah. they're going to be split up unless shenanigans ensue well or or i mean they're split up but owens and zane are the tag team champs so can't they just defend on the other brand yeah, they, like, ha- we, they, they haven't, haven't really even made told that us they haven't no. told us anything like, i think this brand split is gone and you know by, by the time we get to saudi arabia i, th- I think you're right <laughs> yeah. but at the same time you know what my thought was was triple h 
wants to do this correctly, right? I, I'm 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 big <laughs> into this narrative, and I and I've solely created this narrative just to talk about it. In that, you know, trip part of what was good about Triple H's run last year is he was undoing a lot of things that Vince did incorrectly. And I sort of see this as the same thing. It's like, nope, we can actually do this brand split so that it's meaningful. So I'm, I, I it, you know, I'm thinking that way, but at the same time, I'm like, how? Like, cause the second ratings suffer, the instinct is going to be to bring the stars back on the show that needs the help. And I well, can't imagine. That, but, but Vince is there. So I like, I mean, Triple H says, you know, brand splits, teams can be split up. And then the next thing, oh no, all the teams are drafted together. Yeah, then true. it's like, oh, we're going to have a title just for Raw. Oh, next week, oh, Raw and SmackDown are both competing for this title. It's like, <laughs> they're just, I mean, at least the shows themselves have actually not been completely messed up by Vince other than that Raw after Mania. Yeah. But the actual booking is like all over the place right now. Um, it's just the main stuff is really clicking. So I haven't Omos given up yet. And Seth. What what the hell is that? <laughs> but I mean, it might be good. You know, like he had a good match with uh, Braun not that long ago. The, the, he had a match with Lashley, I think. Or no, not Lashley. There was another one he had that was not too bad. Oh, the one, at, whatever the one at Mania was. I already Brock. forgot. <clears throat> Brock. Yeah, that was good. So, yeah, I mean, okay. and I worked. I almost think he's going to beat Seth, but we'll see. Yeah. I don't. I, I have no idea what's going on there. Um, it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Austin Theory and Bobby Lashley and yeah. Bronson Reed triple threat. I don't know, man. I think they need to heat up Bronson. They're, they're, it seems like they're paying a little bit more attention to him. They're yep. putting him in video packages. There's something going on there. But then I'm sure this is the main event for the local crowd. Bad Bunny and Damian Priest. What a match. That should be the main event of the show, honestly. Um, I think a lot of the ratings right now, um, they're so up year over year in 18 to 49. It's ridiculous. And I think that's Bad Bunny. Like, I'm, you know, I... Uh, the the attention that he's getting i'm hearing from my kids who like yeah. bad bunny that you know like they're interested oh is he wrestling again and and like is he on the shows like they're asking me and i'm like i honestly don't know like have you looked have on... you looked into dom mysterio segments to see if there's any no i haven't i haven't really but because I he's I... the one young yeah. guy right he's the one young mm-hmm. person uh, and and paired with ria who was also young and yeah. it's sort of this like father and son thing where i that that seems interesting i'm wondering if there's any well him and theory is another one that's pretty young so yeah but he's he's such a pansy in (laughs) in in the ecosystem yeah well i know dom is uh dom's killing it no i haven't looked but i think i would have noticed if because i'm such a dom fan that if if i had noticed spikes with dom i'd have been sure to point them out so the fact that i haven't noticed it tells me that's probably not happening but all right, my last, uh, well, my take from this show I did with John was that I think Brock can win. And the reason why I think Brock can win is because the fans are still clearly 100% behind Cody. Like, my fear was that it was going to taper off. And the fact that it hasn't, and maybe it's even increased based on the booking, leads me to believe that they could do it again and he'll still be fine. And John made a point that he doesn't even think Cody should be the first winner of this belt because he thinks it's sort of like the runner-up prize. And he thinks a heel should win it first, being the runner-up prize, and that could be Seth or whomever. Um, Maybe it's Brock, who knows? But he thinks that once 
they they start telling the story or setting the seeds or whatever for that belt to be important, then Cody should win it before facing Roman. I, I think it's interesting. I don't know where they're going. Who knows? But um, I, I do think I, I would have been against Cody losing this match right after WrestleMania, just because I, my worry would be that that Cody would be not hot, but he's still hot, so he could lose, and I think he would still keep all of the babyface fan fire behind him. Uh, but yeah, it's it's good. it's super interesting. That's why I really love this kind of match because you know it's it's intriguing and things you know you can, it's it's sort of like that choose your own adventure book that we used to read when it was we were kids. It's like you go this way or you go this way, and you want to find out what happens in both scenarios. I'm very intrigued. Like I would love to, you know, choose your own adventure. What if Brock wins? Where would they go? What if Cody wins? Where would they go? That's that's what makes this one intriguing to me. I I had an idea in my head, and we can tie it back to what we originally talked about with UFC. You remember? I think it was GSP. It might have been somebody else, but somebody won an interim title, and Just then threw they, it down. they threw it down, and they're like, "This isn't the real title. I'm going for the real thing." So I I wonder if maybe Cody wins. And then he says, you know what? This is great, and I will defend it, and I'll do everything, but puts it down. This is not the prize. Roman, you've got the belt I want. I want you. And if it takes me putting this belt up against it, winner take all at SummerSlam. Let's do it. You know, like something like that. And then, you know, like it's – so he's still – that's finishing the story. You know, like – so this belt is just a step along the way. We'll see. Like I I could see that happening too. But but I – I, I can, you know, I think that uh, John's got, you know, John's got a great mind for booking. So, you know, if if his idea is to not have Cody win, that that's interesting too. Yeah, but John, you know, the, the thing about John, the thing about fantasy booking in general is, you know, we're doing it without a lot of data. We're doing mm-hmm. it without having to then look at where the houses, the, where the places we're going to run in six months are. So, w- you know, we can do that as as hardcore fans without the reality of like running a company. So I always like to say that caveat because people seem to think that booking is easy. And I'm like, yeah, ideas, you know, if you're creative, you can come up with many ideas, but there's so much other stuff that is kind of put into play that uh, we don't have to worry about when we're talking about it. All right. So uh, thanks for doing this. And, and, you know, we're going to have you back uh, as, as many of these UFC shows as my schedule and your schedule sync up. Mm-hmm. on the Fight Game Podcast Extra. I like doing this with you, and I like uh, sprinkling in a little UFC and these really heavy wrestling shows. So thanks, Paul, and we'll do this again. Ian Douglas, welcome to the show. Ian Douglas, obviously the author of multiple professional wrestling books, and I think the first time you and I would have crossed paths was... When Dave and I interviewed Bugsy McGraw, would that have been the right time? Yeah, and I like I honestly I know I bugged you behind the scenes several times. <laughs> it's hard to be uh, precise as to when the first time was, but that that sounds like it could have been it, sure. And you know, like you said, we've talked on social media and such, but this is the first time we're doing an interview. We're chatting about uh, the newest book the uh, Steve Kern book, but also I'm, I just want to ask you a bunch of stuff. Uh, the, the big R on your hoodie there, we were talking uh, before we started uh, recording stands for the ringer. You're also doing some writing for the ringer. Is that exclusively wrestling? Um, every, yes. Everything I, every 
everything I write for the ringer is ex- exclusively wrestling related. Um, I wouldn't dare say that I am an employee of the ringer. I serve at the pleasure of, uh, shoemaker and cal and at the point they yeah. decide that they're not interested in my content anymore i uh I, I won't be submitting anymore but i'm i was proud to have just one piece published in the ringer and i'm happy to i'm happy to have the hoodie to uh to show for it well some may say that i'm in the bag for the ringer because i've had brian waters who uh had you on wednesday worldwide and ben cruz obviously people know that ben and i are good friends um, and I, I'm just a big Ringer fan, so whenever I see the the R or the hat, I get I get excited. But I did notice that you know that you started putting out pieces for them, and that is as a contractor or a contractor contractual uh, writer. How, how what is that process like? Are you are they pitching stuff to you? Or are you pitching stuff to them? Like how are how are you? How how what's the process of you starting those pieces and and shooting them over there? Yeah, 90% of the time, it's me pitching stuff to them. And the, the first time I ever wrote for them, my very, very good friend, outstanding writer, Oliver Lee Bateman, who writes the, um, oh, the historical obituaries for The Ringer, he wanted my help with the Inoki piece. He knows I'm a classic pro race fan, so I, I helped him out. I was given the byline. And Cal and Shoemaker came back to me and said, hey, if you have if there's anything of interest to you that you think we might be interested in, just let us know. And I started pitching them on various stories and interviews and more often than not, they're accepting of it, which I'm I'm thrilled for. Now, I the cover the ringer coverage is is heavily WWE because they're the biggest game in town Uh, that, you know, they're not. The Ringer is not necessarily, though I'm sure they they would enjoy like the hardcore, hardcore wrestling fan eyeballs. From my perspective, now you can tell me if I'm wrong, but they're more interested in like the the the, the bigger company WWE. I know they had so they had a partnership with WWE at some point. I don't know if it exists anymore. But with that knowledge, how does that change the pitch? Because you just said you're a Japanese wrestling fan and mm, you know, that's probably, you know, they're, they probably don't want uh, 750 words on Kazuchika Okada, but so how does that change w- what your process is? And to be honest, I think it's been more a matter of who the people are that have been writing for them and where their interests lie. The first piece I ever pitched, which they gave me the green light for was a, a deadlock pro wrestling show, which was a, I live in Durham, North Carolina. Deadlock is local to the North Carolina area, but they're they're a very high level indie. So, um, Speedball Mike Bailey uh, was going to be on the card, and several other um, several other talents who were at least at times have been contracted to AEW. So I was able to cover that one just by walking half a mile down the street, uh, further into downtown Durham spend five, six hours there, watch the show, interview the talent, type up, transcribe, type up the article and submit it. So the, the very first piece that I did was it was an indie piece. And the um, subsequent pieces, I did a, I did a Tony Khan interview. And what prompted, what prompted that interview was I reached out to AEW and said, hey, um, since Tony, since you're obviously one of the most influential people in 
wrestling right now and determining tastes, I would be very interested to know how your taste in wrestling content was established. And so we we wound up going into a deep dive of all the territories he was interested in, the Japanese and Mexican wrestling content he was interested in, um, and also e-wrestling and how that played such a, a formative role in establishing how he approached booking. His very first um, you know, Dynamite, um, the name of his shows, Dynamite and Rampage, those are direct, those were directly brought over from two e-wrestling shows that he wrote for several years before um, his family founded AEW and uh, brought it to the masses. Yeah, no, that, that that background is so intriguing, which and, you know, we don't we're not going to really talk about current wrestling too much, but there is a pretty big story that came out recently and I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, somebody who does a lot of the stuff that I do uh, and does it very well. Will Washington, host of the Grap City podcast for Fightful, and he's all, he was also doing some other shows. Uh, Tony just hired him. Uh, now, Will is, I'm going to guess, in his mid-30s. Mm-hmm. Will, Will's a person of color. Will has connections to uh, Swerve, Swerve Strickland, who, who I believe is, is his cousin. Um, and I thought that the fascinating thing and why I was so, in addition to Will being cool, I've talked to Will a bunch of times. He's, he's a great dude. But the thing that I found fascinating was, and this kind of relates to the, ter- the, the timeline of the books that you write, Steve mm-hmm. Kern, Brian Blair. Wrestling is very old school when it comes to putting together your company. Somebody is fired from WWE. I'm sure AEW is going to look at them just because they have so much knowledge. But Will Washington is more the, the vein of Tony Khan and how he, you know, fan, like giant fan, just crazy recollection. Um, and, it, and it's a bit of a, a of a zag from how pro wrestling companies are usually built, which is like this institution, like Jeff Jarrett grew up in the wrestling business. Of course, you're going to hire Jeff. But I found Will's hiring so fascinating because he's a different school, closer to Tony Khan younger and has been given this chance to say hey maybe there are other aspects of uh, where we can find talent to to help our companies to join creative to to help us with digital stuff will's a guy who's been doing a video podcast for like 15 years or even longer but what did you think about that when that when that news came out um honestly i have not been following wrestling news that closely just because i've been working on in the last several weeks i've been working on stacking a series of new feature articles for the ringer and i've been toiling away night and day on it i will but in relation to your point i will say that i i do consider it annoying the way a lot of wrestling fans, it's like they don't want anyone new to be involved in the creative process of, of pro wrestling. They always want somebody to have had a link to this to this past, like like the McMahons. Um, like they like the fact that the McMahons are this third or fourth generation promotional dynasty. You you mentioned the Jarrett's. Um, they love the fact that the Jarrett family has been involved in wrestling forever. And so that when someone like Tony Khan comes along and the Khan family, and 
they're under no obligation to start a pro wrestling company at all. They can spend their billions of dollars however <laughs> they like to, however they wish to, but they endeavor to bring a pro wrestling product to the fans. And the first thing a lot of the fans do is get annoyed and say, well, who is this? Who is this rich kid with all his money? How dare he spend that money and interfere with the process and challenge WWE? Well, do you want more wrestling content or don't you? Is it better to have wrestling content that you think is substandard or mediocre, but it's great in some spots? Or is it better to have the same old, same old that just goes unchallenged forever? So I think it's great that the Khan family is involved in wrestling. And I think it's great that they are bringing, that they are helping to bring new talent into the industry and helping to elevate that talent. There's a lead for you. Will Washington, look him up. I, th- I think he'd be, he'd be an interesting subject for sure because of, uh, because of his, uh, you know, where he came from, which is kind of doing what kind of what we're doing. Well, you see me writing it down and taking notes. Right now. <laughs> so his name down. There you go. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the the Kern book. Uh, I, I find the timeline of the '70s to be a real blind spot for me as a wrestling fan because I don't start watching wrestling as a kid until about the mid '80s. And like it's almost like uh, you know you, when when you go through history, there's like a lot of Bruno and there's a lot of um, stuff happening with Luthez and a, a lot of the stuff from the '70s. Like I like so in the book, Steve mentions that somebody had overheard uh, them talking to Vince McMahon Senior about who could be the next champion, and and Steve's name came up and they went with Bob Backlund and, and the idea of Eddie Graham saying, you know, Steve is going to be better or, or whatever, whatever he said, like, mm-hmm. like to me, I'm like, what I reading that I'm sure I'd heard that story, but like, I was like, wow, like imagine the, the change of the landscape. If Steve Kern is WWF champion instead of Bob Backlund, but like that time frame is, is in my blind spot. And I think I offended him slightly when Dave and I talked to him last week. Cause he was like, are you calling me old? And I'm like, <laughs> No, but it's just before my time, which is why it's fascinating to me to read all these stories. Steve, knows, is, he's, Steve knows he's old. <laughs> <laughs> but what is it about you that is drawing guys from this time frame, Brian Blair, Steve Kern, to for you to to, to be the guy to help them write these? Because you're not you're not from that time frame. Like you didn't see any of this stuff either. It is absolutely in your blind spot before you do the research. So w- what is it about you that has connected you to this time period? Um, man, I think that all comes, to, I think that all comes down to availability and willingness because like, quite frankly, I thought I was, I'd, I'd worked on a Dan Severn's book. I'd worked on Hornswoggle's book. I was done as far as what I thought my contribution to any of this would be. And then uh, one day I decided, you know, would it be possible to write a history on pro- pro- professional wrestling in the Bahamas? Maybe I should give that a shot. And as I was in the very early stages of establishing the framework for that book and and how long it would take, um, if I'd known it would take four and a half years, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, but figuring out how long it would take, figuring out how much research would have to be done, figuring out how many people I would need to speak with. Uh, my friend Kenny... Uh, Casanova Bevan, who has assisted with the writing of several pro wrestling books, uh, 
Kamala's Brutus Beefcakes, most recently Ken Patera's. Uh, he reached out to me and said, Bugsy McGraw is interested in writing a book. Um, he got in contact with me, and I don't think I have time to devote to this. I think he was busy writing Vader's and Sabu's oh, wow. at, at that time. And I took a look at the I took a look at Bugsy's career timetable because I didn't know that much about Bugsy McGraw outside of the fact that he used to work in Florida some and also work some in the Mid-Atlantic. And I saw that he'd worked in that he broke in in Detroit. Uh, I'm from Detroit. So and I always wanted to learn more about wrestling in the Detroit area. And then I saw that he'd worked in the Bahamas. And I said, okay, well, if nothing else, in the process of writing this book, this could be a great first interview to touch off research into the Bahamas wrestling project. So from there, I mean, I know I'm jumping way ahead because I'm working on the Bahamas book in the background of all of these things. But from there, uh, we, we got around the time where we were concluding the book. We needed someone to do a forward and an afterward. The forward wound up being Rocky Johnson, who uh, less than a year before he died, I believe. Right. Um, and Rocky provided the forward and also gave me interview content for a Bahamas book because he worked there in both the 70s and the 80s. And then Brian Blair provided the afterward for the book, um, obviously famous wrestler and uh, Cauliflower Alley Club president. And that helped me to be at least one of the potential co-authors in line when Brian decided he wanted to work on his own book. Wow. And, um, and I mean, and from there, it's really simple. Uh, Steve Kern and Brian Blair are best friends. Yes. So Br Brian put his book out, and I think less than a week later, Steve said, hey, would you be interested in helping me work on mine? So there well, you well, go. I asked Steve... You know, I said all, you know, 2023, like if you think about the heyday of wrestling books, it's, you know, the late 90s, 2000s time frame when every WWE superstar was coming out with a book. And there's still some some really good stories out there. But I was interested in why he thought now was the time versus, you know, maybe previous. Maybe he couldn't maybe there wasn't in for him and you know he said he's just got to tell these stories because he keeps repeating them and now's the time which uh you know i've uh, that it was it was a good answer for me but at the same time uh i would think at least you know maybe 10 or 15 years earlier would have probably been a sweet spot for him to write that book and he decided now so i guess it, it does have to do with the networking and the connections like you said and has that spawned off more of the the guys from that time frame from their for you know from from their network of of wrestlers have have you got more uh contacts to do more stuff oh as far as the reasoning behind the books coming out hot and heavy now um i think it's a confluence of factors in steve's case um 15 years ago he was still under ww under WWE contract, uh, he was running around chasing his own tail as an agent <laughs> and then working at FCW um, right. and, and trying to train or at least help train, organize the training of and, and elevating the talent in FCW. Um, but then also um, a lot of the guys from the 60s, 70s and 80s 
um, they may want to write a book. They may not have they may not have the typing skills. They may not trust themselves to handle the structure. And frankly, they they may not have they may not have engendered the trust with a potential writer, let alone no one. So I think the fact that I mean it's it's unfortunate. I actually actually the first part of it's pretty funny. I met Steve because I was at Brian's house gathering the photos. I was at Brian Blair's house gathering the photos for his book. Steve, Brian kept trying to get in contact with Steve and couldn't because Steve's phone wasn't set up properly. <laughs> so he's like, hey, Ian, can we go over to Steve's house and help him set up his phone? Like, yeah, sure, no problem. So like, Steve answers the door. He's in his, he's in his pajamas. <laughs> but we go, in, we go in the kitchen. We sit at the table. He hands me the phone. I start trying to set it up. Um, and Steve's wife comes in. Hey, what's going on? Oh, Ian is Ian. He's helping me set up my phone. Oh, great. Well, when he's done, can, you know, can he help me with mine too? <laughs> yeah, no problem. So, and as I'm going through this, um, you know, Steve's getting calls from people. And one of the first calls that came in was from Ted DiBiase. Oh, wow. Um, and so I, you know, I ignored it for the time being and finished setting it up. But then I handed it to him and I said, um, you just got, by the way, you just got a call from uh, Ted DiBiase, but I don't know if it's junior or senior. And he just, <laughs> and he just chuckled and said, senior. <laughs> okay. So um, that was my first meeting with him. The second one, unfortunately, was at the funeral of uh, Brett Blair, Brian's son, who was murdered. Right, um, right. I, I walked in and I wound up sitting in the chapel behind uh, Steve Kern and Hulk Hogan, who were, who were sitting right next to each other. And um, afterwards, that was the, the second time I talked to Steve and really got to know him a little better. And so finally, when the, the book came out, when Brian's book came out, um, and Steve saw that I'd conducted myself, I guess, respectfully enough and put out a decent enough product on Brian's behalf, then he felt comfortable reaching out to me and say, hey, would you mind helping me with my book? And I said, I, on the spot, said, absolutely, <laughs> right after I got done telling my wife I was done writing wrestling books. Okay, so, but now, you know, you've had the Bahamas book, Brian Blair, Steve Kern. Are you still telling your wife that you're done writing wrestling books? Um, I have two more in progress right now, uh, which is better than it could be because I've had two other wrestlers other than the two I'm presently working with ask me for help with wrestling books. And I've had to turn them down because just the uh, the amount of time it takes to do this, um, on, honestly, if I had those two wrestling books on my plate, um, that would carry me through probably 2000, late 2005, early 2006. And uh, I really have other things I'd rather be working on, like my <laughs> my day job, for instance, or ringer pieces, for, for right. instance. So you actually have a day-to-day -day job in addition to your author uh, job. How do you... Now, I ask you this as somebody who also has a day job and also does a ton of audio and hell and runs a couple of podcasting networks. So I understand that it can be done, but how do you do the multitasking that it takes being married child? Like there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that's going on now. I'm sure being an author, there is substantial enough income to where you're like, okay, you know, this is part of it, 
but like just the the time aspect of it like how do you make the time man uh well first of all don't give me credit for being able to navigate all of this with a child yet the child is brand new so I'm, I'm, <laughs> well congratulations uh, thank you i'm i'm just figuring i'm just figuring that out and how i'm going to get anything done with a child now quite frankly but um what i what I usually tell people who, who ask this question is that like success isn't uh, success isn't accidental. Success is scheduled. Um, and if I sit down and I if I tell myself, OK, between. Oh, before we get to that, like Bugsy's book, um, the the process of putting Bugsy's book together was, OK, Bugsy, we are going to talk from 10 to 11 a.m. every Tuesday until we have enough content to put this book together. And we did that. And I think it took four months, four or five months. But once we reached that point, I said, okay, um, I've, we, we've got the interviews done. I've got the transcribing done. And now it's time for me to sit down and actually set out to write a book. And I'll let you know when the first draft is done and I'll send it to you. Um, but that was just a matter of like, put, putting the adding the item to your schedule, adding the action item to your schedule. And honestly, it's an accountability thing. When you, when you start talking about a, a wrestler who you're going to call at a, at a predetermined time every single week, um, you know, if nothing else, the 15, 20, 25, 30 hour long interviews are going to take care of themselves and then it's just a matter of you sitting down and doing the work on the back end. And it's a whole lot easier to do that work on the back end once all the content that's, that's fueling the process has been generated on the front end. So, uh, again, it's just a matter of scheduling your success by scheduling every single um, action item that needs to, to uh, feed the process. No, I, lo I love that. Scheduling your success. Uh, I work for... Uh, an operations team uh, at at next door and you know it's process 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 mm -hmm. and and that that's fan that's a fantastic way now how did you learn this process did you know was this the same process that you had in book one did somebody show you how to do this how did you create this to know this is how it works for you um, I, I think it's, um, in, in, in this case, it was just out of necessity being the mother of invention. Uh, when I agreed to, when I, when I was working on Severn's book, I had, I was employed on a, on a part-time contract basis, which meant I had, I had all sorts of time to go in first thing in the morning and say, okay, Dan, we're going to talk every day for an hour for two and a half weeks and um at the conclusion of those conversations i'm, I'm going to put this book together um frankly if if it seems like that book was a little sloppy and rushed it's because it was um it was put together very quickly it, but when when the time came for bugsy's book um i was employed i was employed full time I had the hour that I was able to carve out on that day. And I mean, you never know how things are going to, to shape up later on um, career wise, work wise. But that's one of the reasons I always like having a book brewing in the background, so to speak, so that 
when opportunity presents itself. Like for instance, I was a writer for Mel Magazine. Yes. Um, and Mel Magazine, <laughs> famously, everyone on Mel Magazine got laid off during a conference call in late July of last year. And honestly, um, I, I say this, uh, I say this with regret for the other members, uh, for the other writers on the Mel staff. Um, my first reaction was, this is great because now I can finish the Bahamas book probably in a month if I devote myself to it and then get on to some of these other projects because I have no I have no idea otherwise when I'm going to have this much time on my hands to devote to wrapping up Steve's book. And and that's exactly what I did. So I don't I don't know if that was an appropriate reaction, but uh, it was my reaction nonetheless. And I did get right to I did get right to work working on those two projects. Um, so, uh, so again, um, my process is always have, always have a book brewing in the background as a hobby. And whether you, so that whether you're able to finish it going the slow and steady route, or you reach a point where you're able to get it done, um, by racking up hour after hour after hour, um, you'll at least have yourself set up nicely to uh, get a nice comprehensive project out with your name on it. Uh, have you ever thought what it would look like talking about scheduling your success? Now, maybe you really love your day job and, and this would never be a, be a thing, but have you thought what it would look like if you were just able to be an author full time and, make your income and support your family just by the writing? Um, it would be nice. Uh, those, those opportunities are few and far between. I mean, frankly, when, when some of these publishers are offering somebody upfront a hundred grand to write a book on, you know, fill in the blank wrestling topic, um, in this day and age where books are becoming less and less popular, like fewer people are reading them, people would rather be listening to podcasts yeah. or, or watching stuff on YouTube. So frankly, I don't know how, um, again, I don't know how those publishers are recouping everything from those sorts of projects. So I don't know that that's a viable option, but in a lot of sense, in, in, a, in a lot of respects, working on these sorts of projects it become it becomes a lost leader. Mm -hmm. um, I hit the radar of the ringer, which pays very well for for written content. I hit the um, the radar of the ringer because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I was working on Bugsy McGraw's book for free. Um, that book caught the attention of Oliver Bateman, who put me in touch with Josh Schulmeyer of Mel Magazine. That's how I got that job who put me in touch with uh, Cal and David Shoemaker at The Ringer. That's how I got that job. So um, as long as you're, I, I would, I would always encourage someone, even if they don't see the financial upside to working on a, um, on a book project, just the opportunity to get your name on something and get it out to people. You never know who's going to be reading and you never know who's going to be impressed and interested on the back end. The subject uh, of a lot of these stories, uh, I think wrestling fans, they enjoy the biographies for the stories that they didn't know 
existed in in uh, in Kern's book specifically. He's a, he's a big ribber, and I was wondering, you are filter number one to make sure that these stories are told in the proper manner so that people do not get in trouble and do not get canceled. The world was a lot different back then than it is today. And what was okay maybe back then may is probably not okay today. How do you uh, deal with those waters when you get a story and you're like, hmm, this is not going to play well. Like how, how are you trying to transcribe that and, and what's going on in your mind when you're putting that together, knowing that it's going to be something that people want to read? Oh, uh, in fairness, I'd say that in Kern's case, Kern was filter number one. Okay. Uh, now in, um, in, in Brian Blair's case, um, Brian was going all out fast, playing fast and loose, giving me every single, rib story that that he could regardless of um how dirty the content was <laughs> regardless of of what names were what names were named and in in brian's case i actually had to sort of rein him in a bit and say okay because you told you know it's it's sort of like wolf of, it's sort of like wolf of wall street um where if you if you cut the right 15 minutes out of it you could get this really pristine this this really pristine and interesting um wall street takeover story and if you cut the another if you cut a different 15 minutes out of it and add some more content you have a really interesting porno uh, <laughs> well in in brian's case um it, it was sort of like okay because you have because you have this story with the ring rats and the nuprocanal, maybe you don't need this other story about this girl over here. Mm -hmm. And and maybe because you have this story about Orndorff running around uh, naked it, or running around um, oiled up in a bathrobe looking for a flight attendant in Japan <laughs> over here. You don't need this other story over here about uh, Orndorff in Tahiti. It's, I right. think things along those lines that um, if if you want, and I'll say in in Brian's case, like he he's the he's the very proud president of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Yes, like that means a lot to him. But it also means a lot to him that he's that he's entertaining and he gets to pop the boys with his content. And sometimes your ability to pop the boys with. Uh, occasionally unseemly content doesn't work in the service of you upholding your role as the president of the, uh, the dutiful president of the CAC. Sure. And so like, how do we, how do we maintain the, how, how do we maintain the story of you growing up as a child of a, of a broken home who was on welfare, who had to work as a young teen to put food on the table for the family and, when you were he got out of pro wrestling as a full-time job very early because he'd saved his money was looking for other places to invest it wanted invest money wanted to keep the family together and wanted to leverage his wrestling career so that he could sustain incomes in other areas so that he didn't fall on hard times again that's the essence of the brian blair story but if you put in if you shove too many anecdotes about 
about ring rats and and violent and violent ribs in some cases into your book, you can detract from all of that. Sure. No, and that makes so, sense. So and so as far as the process of acting as that filter, um, as you're reading through a book, as once it's done, I'm reading through the book as a fan. And as you're reading through it, you can get a sense for whether or not the theme of the book is being upheld and whether you're one or two or three ring rat stories away from people forgetting about that theme and focusing only about the, the smutty elements. Well, there's two specific biographies I can remember where the author comes off as a villain. Dynamite Kid is one of them. I don't know if you've read the Dynamite Kid book. I did not. Uh, that's a fascinating one. Uh, and the other one was the Matt Hughes book. I found Matt Hughes to be like the worst person in his own book. Randy Couture book is a little bit of like, okay, Randy, I didn't need to hear about the 25th time you cheated on your wife. Like the first two times is, is fine. So knowing that, like, was there any worry about that? Like, uh, you know, some of these stories are just like, we have to pull this out or else you may not come out of this very well. Yeah, I think, well, the answer to your question is yes. And I think there is like, depending on who, depending on who the co-author is, depending on who the, who the wrestler is, they may think there's a necessity to really lean into those stories to capture and maintain the interest of, of wrestling fans. And I don't always think that's in service to the material or in service to uh, in service to the reader. Like how many, assuming that these are mostly grown men who are reading the books at this point, like how many, how many different ways do you need to hear a sex story package? Like, okay, we've right. all had sex. We, we get it. We, we, we don't need to be told about every single sexual experience you've ever had. Um, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought. What was, what was the question again? No, just the, wor the worry that it, that, that they, you know, have you had to mention to somebody like, Hey, if we keep this piece in, you may not be well liked in your own book. Like Charles Barkley has, has the famous quote that, you know, he was uh, misquoted in his own autobiography, right? Like just that idea that, cause you're, you know, effectively you're in charge and you also want to protect the subject because the book is going to sell based on this person. Fortunately, it, it's never gotten that far. Again, there were a couple of stories that were extracted from Brian's, but it's, it's a fairly easy argument to make to them. Because when you talk about somebody's autobiography, they're being immortalized in a sense. You know, 60 years from now, if someone wants to get the essence of what Steve Kern or, or Brian Blair of, of who they were distilled down into 400 plus pages, they have access to that and they can do that. And do they want, do they want to come away from that saying like Brian Blair was, was all about the ring rats and ribs, even though there's plenty of that in there. Right. Or was Brian Blair, somebody who overcame a lot of adversity in his life, developed a sense of responsibility, wanted to um, take care of his family, wanted to give back to his community um, and frankly, someone who even even though he had the best of intentions with the raising of his kids, he'd be the first one to admit that he spoiled them 
in in some respects and was a little too lenient. And uh, some of that led to some substance may have contributed to some substance abuse issues on the part of his son, Brett. But Brian also Brian also deals with the fact that he had his own injury and he had to deal with his own addiction to painkillers. And he felt like a huge hypocrite. And that allowed him to approach his son's um, dealings with uh, painkiller addiction with a little more sympathy and compassion and empathy. So um, to answer your question, um, yes, uh, I do have to act as a filter sometimes, but as far as the discussions with the guys go, um, if I'm able to talk about it in a if I have to talk about it from the standpoint of you're immortalizing yourself and what do you want people to think of you 60 years from now? What do you want your grand, what do you want right. your grandkids to think about? Grandpa? Steve, Steve brought that up in, yes. in our, in our chat. That was very important to him. Yeah. It's not just about popping the boys. Now it's, it's, it's your lasting legacy. As an author, I imagine you do a lot of reading yourself. Is is there uh, somebody who you kind of look up to or somebody or, or, or a book that you thought, man, you know, this is so good. I, I want to do my version of, of this. Man, um, I think it is, I'm going to, I'm going to get some heat for this one. I think a lot of the, uh, the, a lot of the inspiration for the Bahamas book came from, uh, Matthew Randazzo's book. On oh, wow. Law. Yeah. Quite frankly. Um, the, the first time I read it, I just said, man, if, I wish I could cobble together something from this many sources um, and and make it cohesive and make it entertaining. I don't know that Bahamian Rhapsody quite hits that bar, well, especially because it's supposed to be more of a true history book. Right. But that was Randazzo's book was one of the pieces of work that made one of the bodies of work that made me say, you know what, if if he can do that, maybe I can do this. I just need to figure out how to do it. Um, as far as guys that I wish I would, as far as writers who inspired me to write about wrestling, period. Uh, Dean Rasmussen, Dean Rasmussen, who unfortunately just passed away. Right. And, uh, and Phil Schneider. I was, like many other people, I was one of those guys on the Death Valley Driver message boards Every week, um, in some cases every day, when I was a junior and senior at the University of Michigan uh, in the computer lab, uh, should have been doing my homework and studying, and instead I was studying DVD-VR. But yeah, um, Dean especially, he just had this effortlessness to his writing where he was so clever and so funny. Um, I couldn't be as funny as Dean as Dean was off the cuff, if you gave me a month to work on jokes, I just couldn't do it. Um, so I just, I thought Dean was one of the coolest writers ever. And as far as guys I look up to now, um, Oliver Bateman, who I mentioned before, and also John Snowden is, oh, wow. is, is absolutely, is absolutely fantastic. Shamrock, um, Shamrock book is amazing. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I was working on a piece last week. I, I love having access to these. I mean, working at the ringer, right? I love having access to these guys now. Like the fact that um, Oliver, myself, Snowden, and Schneider are all theoretically um, 
ringer contractors and I have access to them to say, hey, John, can you take a look at this and tell me what you think would make it better? And he gets right back to me and he does and he's right and it instantly becomes better. Um, outstanding resources that we have over there. No, that's great. Uh, all right. A couple a couple other things here and we'll, we'll kind of veer away from the uh, the, the writing stuff and, and, you know, people... I, I very highly recommend, and I can only say this because these are the three that I've read, uh, Bugsy McGraw, Brian Blair, and this most recent one, Steve Kern. I've been telling everybody who's, you know, who, who's asked me to get that book. Um, and so Amazon's the right place, right? Cause you guys mm-hmm. don't, you guys don't do the ebook. And I know you, t- you gave me a reason in, uh, on Twitter, but a few people have asked me to ask you, how come I can't get this thing on my Kindle? I want it on my Kindle. Um, man, you're really putting me on the spot. And it's an, <laughs> and it's an answer that's going to get me heat. And we, and we might get a, um, you might get Kindle versions of all three of those books eventually. I don't okay. want to say soon, but eventually. Um, you want to sell the physical version but, and but see how, of, how much you can go with that. One of the, one of the re, one of the reasons for it is because a a physical book I don't I don't know how many people who um I don't know how many people who would get Kindle versions um would I, I don't know how many of the people who would prefer to get Kindle versions will settle for getting a physical version if a Kindle version isn't available and also um, a lot of the sales of these books are dependent upon word of mouth, social media shares, etc. And a physical copy is just a whole lot. It's just a whole lot easier for someone to take a picture of it lying around, take a picture of them reading it, take a picture of it in their hand. If they're in the airport physically with the book physically out in the open and someone hopefully who knows something about pro wrestling can say, oh, Brian Blair, I didn't know he had a book out. I'm going to yeah. go look that up. Um, those opportunities don't exist with a Kindle for a, a book in the Kindle form. There's no community. There's format. no community version of reading on a Kindle. A- exactly. So I'm I'm already anticipating the hate I'm going to get for saying <laughs> that. And you know what? I probably haven't thought it through all that well. And whatever your argument um, to the contrary is, you're probably right, and you probably are going to get a Kindle version sooner than later. Well, that, I mean, that's good news because. You know, I, I understand the aspect of like, let's try and sell as many physical copies and the word of mouth and doing this kind of stuff. And, you know, we'll link the the book to Am- on Amazon in the show notes to this show. Um, but, you know, for me, I'll give you just my example. And this is why I, I generally prefer the Kindle stuff is because I do most of my reading in the 20 minutes before I fall asleep. I, I It helps me kind of calm down and get tired and i know people will probably say it's bad for my eyes so be it but you can't do that in bed wife is asleep you know turn the brightness down on my phone so it doesn't wake her up or my, or on my ipad so that's why i prefer it but i do know that lots of people still prefer physical copies so i don't i don't think that that's necessarily a bad strategy on on your part there are some people who are absolutely 100 percent anti ebook uh all, all, all at the same time yeah and i don't want to I, I don't want to sacrifice i don't want to sacrifice some customers necessarily in favor of others like and, and 
<laughs> Honestly, some of the interactions I've had with people, though, it's, hey, Ian, are you going to put out a, a Kindle version of this? Um, no plans to. Okay, well, then I hate you. Oh, well, my God. That, that doesn't, that doesn't, um, <laughs> that doesn't um, make me want to put out a, yeah, exactly. a Kindle version. What uh, kind of persuas- persuasive behaviors were you taught, person? Yeah, exactly. Um, that that's not that's not going to cause me to move with any greater alacrity to get you the version of the book that you're uh, hankering for. All right, last couple of things here. Uh, mm-hmm. First, pro wrestling memory. Ooh, um, first pro wrestling memory is probably going to be watching the VHS tape. Which what I'm I I can't remember the name of the tape, but I can remember the order of the matches. Here we go. Um, it was Hogan Orndorff was the first match. Uh, Sheik and Backlund for the WWF title was the second match. Uh, Savage and Santana for the Intercontinental title was the third match. So one of those and, early Coliseum home videos uh, then. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Beefcake and Valentine, the dream team against uh, Hillbilly Jim and Uncle Elmer was the oh, final wow. match. I, I, I absolutely wore that tape out. Um, and for those who purchased Bahamian Rhapsody, they know my first live, uh, my first memory of wrestling as an attendee live in the audience was in Nassau Stadium in the Bahamas in 1989 to see Dusty Rhodes against Big Steel Man Fred Ottman in the main event. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, so so when I uh, so when I met Kern, since Kern uh, put on that show, yeah, when I finally met Kern face to face, I got to thank him for putting on the first uh, for bringing pro wrestling back to the Bahamas and putting on the first show that I ever attended live. What What did he say when nice. you told him? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, that was a period of time when uh, when uh, the PWF, the Professional Wrestling Federation, was uh, losing a lot of money for him. So yeah. uh, it it lost him money, but it gained him a friend and a co-author. I, I don't know. I He'd probably rather have the money. <laughs> ne- ne- I don't know, man. Networking works in interesting ways. Uh, okay, last thing. Um, non-pro, not pro wrestling here. What is, now I don't, I, based off of your busy schedule, I'm not sure what kind of content you're able to actually uh, take in here. But do you have a non-wrestling recommendation for a recent book, podcast, movie, TV show, something that you yourself have indulged on? Oh, man. Um, I'm embarrassed to say White Lotus. (laughs) (laughs) Why why would you be embarrassed? My wife loves that show. Oh, it's man it's it's pretty trashy but, <laughs> yeah. and and i'm not one to ordinarily publicly condone trashy television but it kept my interest it kept my wife's interest and it certainly kept her friend's interest so um absolutely white lotus you just need to know what you're getting into before you start watching yeah in, in a couple years it may have something to do with a, a children's youtube show or something if i ask you this question again that might be all you'll be watching pretty soon yeah we've already got the uh the the uh we've already got disney plus going hot and heavy with the disney classics <laughs> there you go household now well i want to thank you for uh spending the time i know we've been uh talking about this for a few weeks now and pulled the trigger on it i uh, really appreciate you coming on like i said really enjoy the books I don't know. I kind of feel like 
uh, you're the it guy right now for this stuff. Now, I know that Kern's talking about book number two. I'm assuming that's one of the two that you're working on. Is the other one like still in the early stages? You don't want to talk about it yet? Um, I prefer. Uh, so the Kern book, yes. And the only reason I'll admit that is because all of the content for it has already been generated. I just need to find the time to sit down and write it. Got it. Um, the other book is nearing a similar stage. I prefer not to mention these things until they're done. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> um yeah, one of my favorite sayings, and it means a whole lot more now than it did a month ago, but um, don't tell me about the labor, just show me the baby. <laughs> uh, like Pat Tillman? Yeah, yeah. There, there are so many like, There are so many people who will, who will sit down and say, hey, I just got to work on this book project that yeah. never materializes, but I'm sure they have people bugging them at least once a month for you know, years afterwards. Hey, where's that book that you were talking about? Um, yeah, you'll you'll see it when it's when it's ready to be released. All right, any uh, any place you want people to find you, or like I said, we'll put the uh, we'll put the link to the book in the show notes. Anything else you you just want to publicize? Um, yeah, the one thing I want to correct you on is I'm not the it guy for anything. Um, tons of other great pro wrestling co-authors out there including Kenny Casanova, Scott Teal, Greg, Greg Oliver, John Cosper, Tim Hornbaker, John Crowther. Brian Solomon. Yes, and a, and a slew of others. So um, in some cases, I've been mentioned in the same breath with some of those people. That's an honor. I don't deserve it. But no, I'm not the guy for anything. Lots of talented people out here doing the exact same thing I did. There could be multiple it guys. Uh, and that that came out of my mouth. That was not out of your mouth. I just I just I appreciate really- it. I, I appreciate it. But I want to uh, I want to give proper respect to all of the other folks. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think I just really, really enjoy your style uh, of writing. Um, and, you know, some of it is also I don't know why it may be that it's just the books that Dave gets. And so then he gets the idea, Oh, I want to interview this person. And three of the the people that you've written books for have been on his radar. So then, then I go, okay, now I need to read this. But now that I have read it, I'm like waiting to, 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 to read the, uh, the Bahamas book and then whatever else that you got coming down the pipeline. Uh, I'm definitely, it's, it's going to be a, a day one purchase for me. Well, two more, and then hopefully I get to quit, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, man. Ian Douglas, appreciate you. Thanks for jumping on here, and uh, go check it out. Uh, the what, What's the correct title here? I have it. The Kern Chronicles, The Wrestling Life of Steve Kern, Volume 1 with Volume 2 uh, on its way at some point. And if you want to follow me on Twitter and be bored to death, you can find me at Stream Glass, S-T-R-E-A-M-G-L-A-S-S. There you go. All right, wrapping it up here. Uh, if folks listening to this on Saturday, a lot of content to watch. Backlash if you're a pro wrestling fan, UFC 288 if you are an MMA fan. There's a Canelo fight for a boxing fan, so there's something for everybody uh, from combat sports. Personally, I'm going to be watching, first and foremost, my Golden State Warriors play the Los Angeles Lakers, Game 3 of the Western Conference semifinals, and then I'm going to hope to stay 
spoiler free with backlash and i will watch backlash later probably won't get to the ufc uh and the boxing but uh crazy crazy night of content hope that you all have a chance to uh do what you do and have a good weekend and and all that stuff so uh for everybody who joined me paul fontaine ian douglas i'm double g see you when we see you peace out Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.